Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Good morning. I'll be reading from 1 John 4, 8 through 16. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He has sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Thank you, Aubrey. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Let me pray for us before we uh, open the word. Uh, So God, we... uh, We pray as we open your words this morning, can you open our minds and our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit? God, help us to hear you today and help us to be able to receive everything that you have in front of us and promise to us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. NBC Church. The letter in which you just heard this morning, is sometimes referred to by Christians as the letter of love. And as you heard the letter of love this morning, I thought it was only appropriate that we start out this message by hearing a love letter. But this would not be just any love letter. This would be the love letter of all love letters that was written on February 10th, 1840. Doesn't get more steamy than this. All right, you ready? I'm going to display this love letter, and if you see a word that's in pink, I want to ask you to say the word out loud with me as I read it this morning. We feel good with this? Okay, some of you are nervous, and that is okay. All right, here we go. Love letter. Here we go. February 10th. I never, never spent such an evening. My dearest, dearest, dear Albert, his excessive love, and affection gave me feelings of heavenly love and happiness. I never could have hoped to have felt better before. He clasped me in his arms and we kissed each other again and his beauty, his sweetness and his gentleness. Really, how could I ever be thankful enough to have such a husband? Mm. To be called by names of, I have never yet heard used to me before. What bliss beyond belief. Oh, this was the happiest day of my life. Doesn't that just warm your heart? Isn't that just steamy? Maybe some of you, if you don't enjoy a good rom-com, it makes you gag just a little bit right? These words that were written way back in the day were not just the words of anyone. These were the words 
of a queen. These were the words of Queen Victoria, who would have been the great-great-grandmother to Queen Elizabeth. She wrote them on the day of her wedding to her love, Albert. She met Albert and proposed to him in five days. You think things are moving fast. She wanted to marry Albert. And for some of you, you hear a love letter like this, and you're like, I remember when I felt that way. And then I no longer thought that way after the honeymoon. <laughs> they felt this way for 20 years of marriage together. They had nine nine, count them, okay? That is excessive love. They had nine children together. But on the 21st year of sharing life together, everything changed. Queen Victoria would never truly love again because Albert contracted a fever in which he never recovered from. And to put it frankly, she never loved again. Her grief was so deep that she spent the rest of her life remembering the one that she loved. Every day, she would still set out his clothes. Every day, she would still pour a bowl of water for him to shave. Every day, she would wear black. She would barely leave the palace afterwards. She deeply loved and found herself deeply grieving because of how deeply she loved in her life. Many historians would say that yes, Queen Victoria, she passed on January 22nd, 1901. But in one way, Queen Victoria stopped living on December 14th of 1861, the night where she loved, and then her love disappeared. What Queen Victoria felt is one form of many feelings that many of us will run into when it comes to love. We are infatuated with love until love devastates us. And for many of us, when we pour ourselves out in love, when we open ourselves up to love, we also open ourselves up to difficulty. And we also open ourselves up at times to disappointment. What do we do when love gets really difficult for us? This morning as we come to John's words today, I think of the difficulty that maybe some people are thinking. When I pour my love out into my kids and they do not pour it back, what then do I do? When the work that I have poured my life into does not pour the same amount of love back. When someone doesn't recognize my personhood because of my age or my gender or my ethnicity, what do I do? When I give the cowboys another chance and they let me down another season, what do I do? When friends who you have loved for years distance themselves from you because of your beliefs and their beliefs, what do you do? As we've been in this series, The Process of Love, we've been processing the different questions that may come up as we're trying to enter into love, and especially love for those who are hard to love. 
And we've been processing the words of 1 John. And 1 John is written to a community that knows what it's like to open themselves up to love and experience disappointment. It'd be this letter that was written to this group of believers who had fragment, who had disagreement. There were people who were making claims about Jesus that was not the truest claims of Jesus. And at this chapter, the one that you just heard Aubrey read, this is the point where John's trying to drive it home in chapter 4. He's just trying to say, if you don't hear anything else, you've got to hear this. And he says it like this in verse 16. And so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. We rely on the love that God has for us. Today, in part five of this series, all I simply want to do is I want to talk about what are three ways in which you and I can rely on the love of God in our lives. Three ways. If you're a note taker, this is your portion of the sermon. You get to know that there's multiple things to record. I had a, uh, <laughs> had a mentor growing up that we used to ask him, you know, uh, how many uh, points should a sermon have? And he would always say, at least one good one. Okay, so we're going to try to do that today. I don't know if we'll get there, but we'll try. The first way that we rely on the love of God. The first way is we draw from the love of God in our lives. There's this phrase that goes around that people are saying lately. They, they say, they're saying it with their chest, which is another way of saying they are boldly proclaiming something. John, in this portion of the letter, boldly proclaims something. In verse 8, he says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. That is a bold proclaim. That is John saying something with his chest. That God is love. If you're unfamiliar with God, when you hear a statement like this, this may feel like very pothole-like thinking. As if you're trying to say, I've experienced love in my life, even if I'm unfamiliar with God. And that's not the point John's getting at as much as flip that. If you've ever experienced great love in your life, you have experienced a small taste of what the love of God is like. Maybe think of it like this way. Think of someone who has been extremely loving to you in your life. Someone that you're like, this is the person, that's the example of being loving to me. Who would you put in that blank? Maybe it was a moment that they showed up in life. Maybe they kept showing up in life. All of us have people that would be like, that person is loving. John's going to take it a step further. He's going to be like, God isn't just loving. God is love. Now, if we were to take your person and put them in that blank, and I'd be like, do you confirm this person is love? Well, some of us would hesitate to say that, right? Because like everyone, everyone's got a little bias with their love. Everyone's got a bad day. Everyone's got some days that they roll on the wrong side of the bed. I don't know if I would make the claim that so-and-so is love. John's going to say, when it comes to the God that Jesus Christ knows, he is love. Love is not an attribute of God. This is massive. It's not a characteristic of God. It is God at the core. 
It's all of God's activity. When God gives mercy, God does it out of love. When God creates, God's creating out of love. Yes, even in judgment, when God judges, it's out of love. And sometimes when we think of how God operates, we tend to really lean into this with Jesus, but not with God. We're like, I think Jesus is very loving. I'm not sure about God. I know that Jesus is love. I'm not sure about God. Frederick Bowerschmidt tells this story one time of taking a trip with a group of young adults. And they were standing in this chapel. And when they were standing in this chapel, they were looking up at the ceiling and they saw this mural. That was basically the crucifixion of Jesus. And it was gruesome and it was bloody. And he remembers as he stood there, one of the young adults finally just looked at it and said, you know, I'm just not sure I'm into this whole guilt thing. And Frederick thought that was a really interesting comment, that someone could look at the cross and say to themselves, I'm not sure I'm really into this whole guilt thing. But after he thought about it for a while, he was like, I think I understand what she was trying to say. She's saying, I understand what Jesus did was very loving. And that somehow, in some way, that was supposed to happen to me. But I'm not sure about God being loving if God's the one that is on the other side of this. I know Jesus is loving, but is God loving? For a lot of people, when they look at the cross, they think, is this like a device to make me feel guilty? That like Jesus stood in the way of this train that was going to hit me? Some wrestle with why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die in this way? You know, Christians, as they were trying to make sense of why Jesus died upon the cross, anytime someone asked the question, why did Jesus die? It was always paired with the question of why did they kill them? Every time that we think about why did Jesus die, we need to ask the question, why did humanity kill him? When John literally writes, he says, you know, we did not love God, but God loved us by still sending Jesus. It's John's way of saying, Jesus is God's response to all of us. Jesus came in the way of life with God, the future of God. And when humanity got a taste of God's response, humanity's response was not good. When he came and he said, there's a more powerful kingdom than any other kingdom. There's a different way to do life than any other way of life. Humanity by the powers of evil, killed him. And Jesus being resurrected is God's response still to humanity's poor response to who God is. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's response. Jesus continued and lived the life that God called him to. And he was consistent all the way through. Even when hate of humanity was faced with him, he still loved. The love of God is the activity of God. The love of God is also the love of Jesus. It's why early Christians would usually say something like, if you see love, you see the Trinity. You see the Spirit, the Son, and the Father 
all loving. And Jesus Christ is a statement that says, God's love is continuing. It's not just once, it is all around you. It is happening and it's working within you right now. All of us have a different response when it comes to the love of God. For some of us, when it comes to the love of God, we view it as superior. This is how this works out for some of us. Some of us, and this is big, if you've grown up in church a lot of your life, a lot of us think to ourselves, you know, I don't need like all God's love. I need like 20%, okay? Like I never slept with someone before I got married. I've never murdered someone. I don't know if I need all of God's love. I just need, I just need a little bit of God's love. That's how some of us approach God's love. Others of us, we approach God's love with doubt. We can't grasp that the creator of the universe would say in Jesus Christ, there is nothing you can do to increase the love of God or decrease the love of God that God has for you. Because of the things we've done in life, people have increased or decreased their love towards us, but not us, not God. And then there's a third group of us that we're just kind of complacent. Like when we hear the love of God, we're like, I'm just not sure that's very relevant to my life whatsoever when it comes to the love of God. And when we find ourselves in any of these three spots, thinking that we only need a little bit of love, we can't grasp the love of God, it doesn't move us very often, this is where we have to move the love of God from up here to down here. This is where we have to take time in our lives to be able to let the love of God penetrate our hearts and flow through us. We take time to sit in silence and have the love of God cover over us. We get around the people of God who remind us that we're loved by God. We give the love of God out to be reminded of what the love of God is like. We need refreshers of the love of God. When we're in a superior place, you can't exist without the love of God. The very breath that you take is an act of God's love. We need reminders that there's nothing we can do in Jesus Christ that can determine how loved or not loved that we are. We need the love of God to prompt us, to move us, to transform us. We have to draw on the love of God when we feel drained from how we haven't experienced love in life. That's one. The second is this. We complete the love of God. If you want to rely on the love of God, you complete the love of God. John says something very mysterious within this passage. He says this phrase. He says, no one's ever seen God. Yeah, okay. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. You know, at a first glance, you read this and you're kind of like, okay, so does this mean that God is withholding God's love to me until I love other people? But when you look at it closer, you actually find that John's kind of saying something mysterious of like, it's not that God's withholding love from you. It's that until you love like God, 
You have not completely experienced or seen what the love of God is even like. It's like when you move from words to flesh with love, when you're like, I'm going to love this person. When you put it in the flesh, you start to understand what it means for God to come in the flesh and love you. I found the mystery a couple uh, weeks ago as I was uh, struggling to love someone. Uh, I ran into this uh, about a month ago. Uh, It was a Saturday. I was kind of running errands. I was zipping through different stores, uh, and I walked into a store, and it's one of those stores that you walk into, and you're like, gosh, can I just get some help around here? Like, I I just need someone, right? You ever just had that where you're like, I just need someone to help, and then, like, someone pops around the corner. You're like, but not them, not them, not them. I need help, but not them. And I remember I saw three clerks. And they said, we'll get to you in a second. And I said, great. And I remember seeing the three clerks, and I remember one of them. I didn't want them to help me. Uh, If I'm being very transparent with you, they made me uncomfortable. The way that they were dressed was unfamiliar to me, and it made me uncomfortable. And as God has it, of course, that's the person who walks up to help me. And, I'll re- and this sounds so small, but I, I kid you not, they walk up to me, and I'm trying to, I'm doing mental gymnastics in my mind, trying to say, be normal, don't be weird. And I remember they reach out their hand to shake my hand. And I don't know where this, I'm, maybe I do know where this came I remember when they reached out their hand, something in the back of my mind goes, don't touch them. Don't touch them. I start thinking through my mind, like maybe I can give them a fist bump, like we can turkey it, you know? Maybe I can act like I didn't see it, like maybe I just keep my eyes at like sea level here. And I remember, it's just one of those moments, right, like where a second of time goes, but you've had a, a conversation for like a thousand seconds. I'm having a mental crisis here in the middle of this store. And I remember I finally just stick out my hand and I shake it. And I, you know, I pray to God that in that moment, it was not obvious that I was struggling to shake their hand. And they've probably moved on. And they probably haven't thought of that moment for a second. I haven't let that moment go. Two reasons. One, because it's very revealing where the love of God still needs to expand in my heart. But also the second thing that that moment teaches me is that even in my failure to love, it completed what God's faithfulness of love looks like. When it comes to God loving you and me, God does not hesitate. God reaches out and doesn't flinch whatsoever in God's love, even though I flinch. When we take moments to give the love, even when it's imperfect, when we respond in love to other people, it completes the image of what God's love is like. You know, Christians uh, read and listen to Christians throughout history because usually the thing is, is whatever we're talking about, usually early Christians have already talked about it. They've already thought about it. And one of the people that I think of when it comes to this letter from John is actually uh, a woman in early Christianity. Her name was Catherine of Siena. And she wrote this beautiful piece 
that Christians have read over and over and over again called the dialogue. And if, if you've never heard the dialogue before, it is basically this account of a vision she had of her soul dialoguing with God. And if that like trips your like boogly-woogly alarm that you're like, whoa, I don't know about visions. I just want to remind you, those happen in the Bible, like a lot. She has this vision in which she talks to God. And she has this dialogue. She was such an intellect that sometimes she had a hard time getting her mind out of the way to be able to receive the love of God. And she's having this conversation. And at one point, she feels that God says this to her. I ask you to love me with the same love with which I love you. But for me, you cannot do this. For I loved you without being loved. Whatever love you have for me, you owe me. So you love me gratuitously, but out of duty. While I love you, not out of duty, but gratuitously. So you cannot give the love I have for you. But God provided a solution. This is why I've put among you your neighbor, so you can do for them what you cannot do for me. That is, love them without any concern or thanks or without looking for any profit for yourself. Whatever you do for them, I will consider that you've done it for me. Part of the wrestle of God's love is that God is going to love you in such a way that you're going to wrestle to love other people at the magnitude that God loves you. If you're into worship songs, maybe the best illustration of this is there's a current song by Brandon Lake that literally says, you know, I, I throw up my hands because I know it's not much, but I have nothing else fit for a king to give them. That's the feeling of what it's like with God's love sometimes. We have nothing that we can give to love that is just as equal as God's love back. But when we give love to others, when we give love back, when we rely on the love of God and we love other people, even if it's imperfect, even if we hesitate, even if it's not complete, God says, I will complete it. John says, it is the way that God's love is made complete. God loves us and we love other people and it reveals how God loves other people people as well. We rely on the love of God by completing the love of God. And here's the third one. You can rely on the love of God this week by trusting the love of God to sustain you. You know, a lot of psychologists, they've highlighted that basically we're in a tug of war. If we're like, if we're technically in this designated like post-COVID era, whatever that like means, a lot of psychologists have said it has changed your mode of operation. You are living day to day in survival mode because you had to live in survival mode for a while. And survival mode is basically you walking through your day saying, I just got to get through the day. I just got to get to X. I just got to get done with Y. And the thing with survival mode, even though it helps us for a while, it disables us from being able to open ourselves up and propel us towards love that we could never imagine. If you spend your whole day just trying to get through the day, 
You're not going to be able to see and be sustained and propelled by the love of God in a unique way. You do not have to walk through life manufacturing love. You can participate in the love of God that is already around you. And you can be propelled forward by that. Let me see if I can do an illustration. Let me see if that'll do it for you. Uh, you see this bad boy right here? Uh, I, don't laugh at it. It, it. It's a bad boy for sure. Uh, I became a pilot at age five uh, through this bad boy right here. Single engine. I mean, it was, it was great. Uh, every night that my father came home in the week, he was a real pilot, okay? All right, I was a fake pilot. He was a real pilot. Every night that he would come home, he would set me in the swing, and he would push me back and forth. But we had this tradition. Before the plane would take off, I would have to yell, take off, right? And if I didn't yell, take off, that plane wasn't moving. But if I yelled, take off, he would push me in the swing, and I'd go back and forth. I mean, this plane had nothing on me, okay? All right, it was good. Like, I, Top Gun, nothing on me, all right? I, w I was a warrior, all right? I, I put miles and miles on this plane. I thought when I was five, I was flying this plane. All of you in the room know, though, that it was not me flying the plane. It was the father doing the work in the back. If I was not saying take off, and I was not getting energy behind me from the Father. I was trying to manufacture my own flight. And you know what? That plane stayed still. Let that be the illustration of God's love. It breaks down because God's love is not pushy. But you need the energy and love of God. You need to invite the love of God to propel you to love in ways that if it was just you, you would be Stand still. So you'll have a moment this week. You'll have a moment this week when the kids snap back at you. And you have to ask yourself, will the love of God propel you to still love in that moment? Some of you will get a coworker who will write the most ridiculous email, the most ridiculous words you've ever seen put together. And you go, I'm going to let them have it. Or you can let the love of God push you and propel you to love in a way you've never been before. Your neighbor may bring up a topic, something dicey, something difficult, and you have the opportunity to either stand still or love. God did not play it safe when it came to to love. And you know what? It ended up Jesus getting hurt. It introduced tension and suffering in the Son of God. But the Son of God loving us helped us realize the love of God. If we risk in loving people, we will find ourselves relying on the love of God because we cannot do it ourselves. At some point, if you're doing this Jesus thing, you should be loving in a way that is uncomfortable for you around people who are different than you and in ways that you wouldn't choose to love yourself. It's why the symbol of our faith is not a 401k. It is not a gated community. It is a cross. It asks something of us.
We rely on the love of God and we let it sustain us and propel us. I want to invite, if you're a communion server, I'd go ahead and invite you to grab of the elements. Uh, in a moment, we're going to take communion together as a church. And one of the ways that we rely on the love of God is we actually, in some mysterious way, consume the love of God. This story that we're talking about of Jesus, this is, Jesus is not Thomas Jefferson. Like, he's not a historical figure that we just reflect on some words and then we go home. In this meal, we remember that Jesus is the resurrected Lord. That he died and that he was raised. That he came to us and because he is resurrected, he is still coming to us through his spirit. John says, this is how you will know that he lives in us, that the spirit of God is with you. If you need to know who the Spirit is, the Spirit is the illuminating presence of God that helps facilitate intimacy with Jesus with you right now. It's what the Spirit of God helps us do. And a lot of times when we come to this table, when we come to take these elements, our focus all the time is on us. Like we're always focusing on are we doing this right? And what have we done this week? And that's a good, there is biblical standard for that. But also, when Christians have come to the table for this bread and for this cup, they've not only focused on themselves, they've focused on the action of God. Christians actually believe there was something intimate that happened here. These weren't just memory devices. Weren't just something that you played church with. When the bread and the cup were prayed for, they, believe, they didn't explain this. They said, we believe these are portals to experiencing the presence of God in a unique way. It's how we remember that the love of God came to us and was for us, sustains us, and propels us. So God, we come to you recognizing what you have done in Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to enter the tension and the suffering for the love and the kingdom of God. Jesus, we take this bread as we take this cup. This is our way of saying we rely on your love this week. Holy Spirit, we pray that you come to us intimately in this moment for our eyes to be open that you are risen, Lord, and that you are working in our lives. And help us to become love to the people around us and to the people who are hard to love. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. When peace like a river attended